0: Children, you can be dismissed for Kids Church. Matthew chapter number six, we're going to continue in our series of kingdom prayer, which of course is a uh, sub-series of the larger context of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I was so thankful for how the Lord worked uh, last week. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you haven't had an opportunity to, if you weren't here last week, and you haven't had an opportunity, I want you this week to go to our YouTube channel, and I want you to watch part one of this, because today is so needful in our lives. I, I, I learned a lot this week, and that's that's normal <laughs> for me, uh, because there's a lot to a lot to learn in Scripture. But uh, the Lord is really really used in my life this week, what I desire to impart to you today Had the privilege of preaching so many times this week, but there's nothing like preaching to you all. But I want you to get the full context. And so that's why today I'm going to do a little bit of reviewing to kind of help with that. But it really does need to get connected to last week. And I promise you it's needed. And so I'd encourage you, if you can, uh, to go back and to watch part one of this. I've entitled the message, Forgive Us Our Debts, part two. You like the creativity of that? Part two. So that should distinguish it online to help us a little bit there, Uh, but part two. But let's let's read this disciples' prayer, Lord's prayer, however you want to define it. Uh, Let's read it again, and that starts in verse number 9 of Matthew 6. Pretty much every verse will be up on the screen over the course of the message, but after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you enjoyed the taste of food this week? I did. I mean, literally, our, our, our family prayer time, I, although I wasn't home much, much this week, but uh, at least when I was, we'd be praying. We're like, Lord, thank you that this doesn't taste like mud. And we kind of make a joke about it as a family. And so give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then if you remember, last week, there's kind of a footnote, so to speak, on verse number 12 about forgiving us our debts, and that's you continue on down in verse number 14, "For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." And if you remember, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, you're reading a verse like that, and you're like, "Yikes!" Do I have to forgive to be forgiven? And if you don't understand the positional side of our forgiveness, judicial side of our forgiveness in Christ, these verses right here completely mess us up. And so uh, I'm going to encourage you. I'm not going to do a lot of reviewing on that portion. I need you to go back, but uh, we're going to stand once we get to those verses here in a few weeks uh, that um, the, the Lord, I pray, will indeed work mightily in our life. There's a story of a king who had suffered much from uh, his rebellious, you know, just kind of the, the, the subjects that were under him. But one day they decided that they were gonna surrender their arms, they were gonna throw themselves at his feet and begin to beg for mercy. And he pardoned all of them. One of his friends said to him, did you not say that every rebel should die? And he said, yes. And then he replied, I see no rebels here. And what we've got to understand is that concept is the way that a believer, based on our judicial forgiveness that, I'll, that I will uh, review a little bit here in a moment, does mean that we are now friends. Friends. We are no longer the enemies, we are no longer the rebels that God originally had seen us prior to our salvation in Christ. As you know, if you were here last week, we began to look at verse number 12, the, the second of our three kind of personal, uh, the, the, the petitions that related to us. The first was all about our physical sustenance, and the second and the third are of the spiritual nature. But we are endeavoring to really understand this whole matter, at least last week, this week, and I'm going to let the cat out the bag, we're going to go a third week in this, with this concept, is to understand how a Christian is meant to deal with sin in our life. Even though we're believers, we still have a sin problem. We still must... Face that sin problem and so the petition in verse 12 is prayed by one hear me who belongs to God this prayer begins with our father which affirms that there is a living and vital relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus Christ so we're talking so we're talking about Christians now, I know that there are a lot of people, there are even famous preachers that maybe get a lot of kind of YouTube and TikTok type of, uh, of space out there that teach that once you become a Christian, you don't need to bother any longer with confessing sin anymore, or you don't need to seek the Lord's kind of cleansing or forgiveness. But that's not true, because we find that those who can call God our Father we also must say, forgive us our debts. Now, in understanding the fullness of the meaning in verse number 12 and 14 and 15, I've had to discover, and we started to discover last week, there's, there's four words that we are going to need to study. And we began studying that last week, and we're going to study it again this week. And We'll study it again next week. As I got to studying early this week before I flew out to preach, I really started again on Sunday, right after church. I'm just like, there's no way we can do justice to this unless we spend another week here. So I'm gonna ask you just to buckle up again and let's learn about this kind of concept of being forgiven of our sin. So let's start off with the first word. We looked heavily at this last week and that is the word sin. Uh, forgive us implies that we do um, need in a sense forgiveness debt is the word in 12 in verse 12 and it it implies sin trespass or trespasses is what's used in verses 14 and 15 equally implies sin so the problem here and we looked heavily at this last week is sin that that's the problem sin is the reality in the life of still of a christian and so what we'll often say and uh mike and i were even talking about this we are saints that's how we're viewed that still happen to sin i don't think there's a single person here this morning that would say you know what i didn't sin this week i did a whole lot of flying this week and i did a whole lot of sinning on those flights sorry i'm like tall right and like they just try to cram you in these little small seats some of you that traveled for your whole life i am you're my heroes that you can do it how you can just go from time zones and crazy and so what i mean by sinning is just complaining like oh why do i gotta sit here and so on and so forth it's a part of our life if we're honest when you become a christian you do not all of a sudden stop sinning you do not all of a sudden lose your sensitivity to sin the fact is when you study scripture, when you actually become a believer, you actually become more sensitive to it. You actually can see it in other places. You actually begin to realize, wow, there was a lot more sin in my life than I ever acknowledged, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, he's one that reproves us. He's one that convicts us of our sin. Jesus told us that he would come in, um, in, in John 14. And so when you became a Christian, we didn't just flip a switch and stop sinning. We saw that sin makes us guilty. And then it brings judgment. We saw that last week. We talked about the words that the New Testament uses for the word sin. We started with the word hamartia, which is the word that says that we miss the mark. It's the the word when it says, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? If you remember, we had kind of our AHG ministry here last week, and, and I lined this first step up here with a bunch of girls, and I said the goal was you needed to jump to that first row. And they all tried and they all got to different levels. And we all try and we get to different levels in this kind of fight against sin. Some of us are some of us are doing a little bit, I turned it off. That was my fault, not their fault. I was getting a little too excited. But some of us, we do a little bit better than others when it comes to this fighting of, of sin. But the reality is, is we all fall short because what's the goal? What's the standard to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? And all of us fall short of that. So the word hamartia. And then we looked at the word parabasis. This is the one that kind of just flirts with the line. You would read it in English with the word iniquity. It's kind of like, mm, I, just, I don't know if this is all that bad. Let's just kind of, let's kind of play with this a little bit. And then there's another Greek word that means transgression. You read transgression in your scriptures, and it's flat out line. You know it's wrong. Scripture, it's not kind of a gray area. It's a black and white area. And you just say, you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. It's a transgression. And then there's a word that means debt. Debt. And that's what we're facing here. It is a debt that is so big that we can never repay it. So then that comes to our second word. And that's the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. If the problem is sin... We said last week, the provision is forgiveness. Forgiveness is offered by God on the grounds of Christ's death. That's what we taught last week. Our problem can be dealt with because there is forgiveness. We must recognize the problem, and we must seek the solution, and that solution is forgiveness. A Christian who says he does not sin is in a desperate situation because he does not ever then seek the solution. So let's not miss that first point. Let's acknowledge that we are indeed saints that still sin and are in need of forgiveness. First off, last week we kind of we, we suggested that there's two aspects of forgiveness, and I want to see it fully this morning. We're going to see both sides and have a better understanding. Judicial forgiveness, that's what we talked about last week. This is the full and complete positional forgiveness that is granted by God as the moral judge of the universe. Our sins, our past, our present, our future, they're totally and they are completely forever forgiven. Amen? Praise God for that. This is our judicial standing before God. We are justified. As a believer, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous. According to God's eyes, it's just as if you'd never sinned, a nice cliche way of saying it, or it's just as if I'd always obeyed. That is our position. That is our judicial standing from the judge of the universe that says, in Christ, I declare you forgiven. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he that's the Father, hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Christ is the supplier of this forgiveness and righteousness. We exchange our sin in faith, we're given righteousness That's the judicial side of it. It's absolute. It is a positional truth. It is eternal, as God is eternal. Imputed to you. It's granted. God is satisfied. Your debt, the huge massive debt that we kind of spelled more out last week, it's been paid. And that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter number eight, that no one can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. Because this is a positional, just, or, a judicial standing that you have. So, then why are we to ask God for forgiveness? If all that is a settled matter, there's an old school hymn in our, in our handbook. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it talks about the old account was settled long ago. Right? It's been a long time since we've said that. But if, if 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 it's all been settled, then why are we to pray this kind of prayer? Well, the point is answered, I believe, in the second kind of forgiveness. There's not only judicial forgiveness, but also parental forgiveness. Now, maybe you can come up with a better word than parental, and I get that, but my mind stayed there because of the beginning of this prayer our father so i just kind of i couldn't get beyond that you know that that parental type of forgiveness judicial that makes sense to me right but this but now it's kind of it's a different kind of of forgiveness now we're not necessarily dealing with god as this righteous judge Oh, oh he is and we better be in Christ or that punishment is coming, but in Christ, no longer a punishment. And so now we're dealing with God as a loving father. Even though we've been judicially forgiven, we still sin, don't we? I think we do, I know we do. Even when we sin, something happens in our relationship to God. The reconciled relationship does not end, but something is lost in the closeness of it, right? If my children, who, got Danielle's helping, and then Blake's already out here, and I mentioned this last week. If my children sin against me, they're still my kids. That doesn't change. So positionally, they're still a, a, a Johnson. They're, they're, they're still my children. And there's, in a sense... They kind of stand forgiven like no matter what but until they come to me until they say you know daddy i'm sorry for whatever it is there's a kind of a distance there not always on my part to them it's on their part to me often there's kind of that that closeness that 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 intimacy into the right term right that it, it it's not there but as soon as they come and they say, hey, hey, daddy, I'm sorry for whatever I said. I'm sorry for whatever I did. I, 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 you told me to do this and I didn't. And then as soon as they do that, you know what happens? It's restored. That position never changed. But that kind of, that closeness, that, and I'm going to show this to you multiple times in scripture here today. It's restored. I'm happily married to my wife, Sarah. Wouldn't have it any other way. The longer it goes the better it gets and um, so but if I sin against my wife by deed or word it actually does not change our in a sense the, the, the relationship that we have there is in a sense where I am forgiven just because I'm under the umbrella of her constant love but there is something that changes That closeness, that that, that intimacy, when there's something between a husband and wife, and you know what I'm talking about in here if you're married. But when that gets resolved, when there's an I'm sorry that I said this or I'm sorry that I did that, that closeness, that intimacy returns again. And so this is what we're this is what we're talking about. This is not some unbeliever praying for salvation. This is not some Christian pleading that God would please forgive their sins. We're talking here about the forgiveness that gives us the fullness of joy in our closeness with God. It is all that the relationship can be. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I wanna illustrate this for you in scripture in a couple different places. We're gonna kinda take a journey through Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the story of David. David is a redeemed man. David has received Old Testament salvation. He's righteous. The righteousness has been imputed to David's account. He believed God. He loved God. He trusted in God. His faith was in God. He had received redemption. He was a regenerated man. I don't know how to say it any other way. He was a regenerated man, but he fell into sin. He was a man that committed adultery that ultimately led to murder. And if he wasn't a king, most likely he would have been killed for his sins. But because he was the king, because he was the leader, his life was spared. But I want you to notice the nature of his prayer in Psalm 51, because this is a prayer that comes out of his guilt-ridden, blood-stained heart. As he reflects on his sin, look at verse number 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, guiltlessness, excuse me, guilt, guiltiness, sorry, oh God, And and then what does he say? God of my salvation. David affirms his salvation. He affirms that, that God is still the God of his salvation. He cries to God whose presence is there, whose spirit is there, whose salvation is his. But even in affirming the judicial forgiveness that was there, David cannot help but feel the loss of something in the relationship, the closeness. And you can sense that earlier in the prayer. Verse number two says, wash me thoroughly." from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. You know what's interesting about those verses? You see the word iniquity, sin, and transgression. All of those different words. Now this would be in Hebrew, different different words, but you see the concepts of them. But he's saying, you know, wash me, verse number seven, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You see, there is a sense in which judicial forgiveness and parental, if you allow me to use that, forgiveness, they're different. David was saved, but, but there was something between he and God that made him lose, in a sense, the meaning of that salvation. And that's why he says in verse number eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. He's saying, I can't hear it, but I want to hear it. He wants the joy back. That's what he desperately wanted. Verse number 10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me then verse 12 says restore unto me what the joy of my salvation it does not say restore unto me my salvation judicial forgiveness takes care of the fact of salvation If you'll allow me to say the word again, parental forgiveness, that that concept of forgiveness takes care of the joy of it. I can be forgiven, but if I am sinful and unconfessing and unrepentant in that sinfulness, I forfeit the joy of the fullness of that relationship. That is the issue here. Let me give you another one. That's kind of David's story. Well, in 1 John 1, John begins this wonderful epistle by saying that he preaches Christ. He preaches, he preaches the word of life. John's got first-hand experience. 1 John has got 1st hand experience First john one verse number 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Here's what John is saying: We have preached, and we have experi- we have experienced with Christ. That's what he says in verse number one: the Word of Life and the word was manifested and we've seen it and now we bear witness of it. In other words, we are preaching Christ. We're preaching what we have experienced. We are preaching the gospel in so many terms is what he's saying. Why do that? Verse number three, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, we preach to bring you into the fellowship. We want you to be in the fellowship. So if there's someone here this morning, I don't fully know your hearts, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, hear what I'm saying, trust Christ. We preach to join the fellowship it's awesome the water is nice and warm jump in I promise you it's great we're preaching Christ that is judicial forgiveness we want to get you in the fellowship we want you participating in the common eternal life that verse number two talked about unto the eternal life which is with the Father in verse number two but then he goes on he goes a step further verse four says and these things write we unto you That your joy may be full. On the other hand, we preach the gospel so that you will come into the fellowship. On the other hand, we write this epistle so that in the fellowship you will know the fullness of joy. Being saved puts you into the fellowship. Being obedient to his words of this epistle and really the word of God helps you to know the the joy. Of the fellowship do you see it on the one hand is judicial forgiveness that's putting you into the fellowship and then there is the parental forgiveness that makes you know the fullness of the joy of being in the fellowship and right off the bat you know what John says John says hey if you're in the fellowship verse number nine says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's inside the fellowship. Study the context. It's inside. This is inside the context of salvation. You join the fellowship, and then the rest of this epistle. Hey, here's how you can have joy. Have you ever known a miserable Christian? I mean, they're just miserable. You know what happens oftentimes? I'm not the judge of them, but they got so much sin in their life, and they're miserable. This is, we're, we're talking about joy here. Joy inside the fellowship. Stick with me for an additional passage that hopefully will open this up our eyes to a new understanding here. John 13. John 13 is a wonderful passage. Our men studied this a few, uh, a few months ago and I, 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 so, I so enjoyed it. Jesus is speaking of his love for his disciples Here in chapter 13 is kind of the beginning of the upper room Uh, his last words to his disciples and chapter 13 is all about his love that he has for disciples and he despite their waywardness despite their sinfulness despite the fact that they were literally sitting around arguing who was gonna be greatest in the kingdom like literally at this time yet he's gonna extend and he's gonna show his great love that he has with them these men they're self-centered they're selfish they're possessive they're indifferent to Christ They're unconcerned about his pending death. Now, sure, they didn't understand everything that was going on, but there was just a kind of, it's all about me at this moment. And it's kind of, if you allow me to say, it was kind of an ugly scene. You know, who's gonna be greater, so so on and so forth. In the midst of all of that, at the center of that world, the creator of the entire universe takes off his robe, grabs a towel, And begins to wash the feet of the men that had just been wondering who's the greatest and i actually like peter in this text because i'm kind of like peter peter's like you're doing that lord you're not you're not washing my feet oh he didn't say that oh she did look at verse number eight it'll be up on the screen peter saith unto him thou shalt never wash my feet I mean, how humbling is it? The creator of the world, he's stooping down and he's getting ready to wash these disciples' feet. And he's like, You're never going to do that. Now, I believe Peter's convicted. I believe he wasn't going to let the Lord stoop to this level. I believe Peter was facing his own sin. The fact that he had just been arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, selfish, self centered. And sensitive to Christ. You're not going to wash my feet, and don't miss the teaching that Jesus is about to bring onto the scene. The verse 8 finishes, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Jesus takes the whole physical scene, and he turns it into this spiritual truth. He says, Peter, if you really want to know what it is to fellowship, with me. If you really want the fullness of this relationship, you better let me wash you. So then what does Peter say? All right, Lord, not just my feet, man, get my head, get my whole body, wash the entire thing as if that wasn't enough, a silly enough statement, like, right? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't need your entire body to be washed. You've already had that done. You're already clean. Oh, but in verse 10, one of you's not. One of you's not clean, and he was, of course, speaking of Judas, and Judas would go out and then ultimately betray Christ. But he's like, you're already clean. Can I put it this way? You're already judicially clean. But the custom was, they wore sandals, right? And everything was dirty and mucky. If it was rain, then it would be mud, and their feet would be nasty. So they would have already taken their bath or their shower or whatever they took. Maybe it was the cold ice plunge, or the plunge that's kind of the craze right now, right? Maybe it was that, who knows? They've They've already washed their bodies. He's like, that's not what is needed. Only your feet are dirty. The spiritual truth behind this is it's not right for you and me to sit at this table and you have some nasty, dirty feet. It's not what you do. There's something, there's something wrong. There's something in, in, in between us. That's like the, the physical realm. The spiritual realm is, hey, you gotta let me, you gotta ask for forgiveness of this. You've gotta get this taken care of, why? So our relationship can be restored. How's your relationship? Oh, you're judicially great if you're in Christ. But how's that practical relationship going for you? How's this ongoing, Lord, forgive me of it? Oh, and you know, it's not this whole like where I stand up before you, and I'm like, hey, man, you better keep short accounts before the Lord. Listen, this isn't a wait. This isn't a backpack on you. This is an awesome, just just revel in the forgiveness that you have in Christ. And when you mess up, and when you say the wrong thing, and you do the wrong thing, Lord, this is not becoming of a Christian. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And you're 100% forgiven. Daily, as we walk through the world, we collect the dust of the world. Nick, I totally skipped way ahead. Those are the sins that we commit. As we confess those things, we're washed. What a glorious truth. Jesus is simply saying, once you've been cleaned, once you've been bathed in the saving blood of Jesus Christ, you've received the judicial forgiveness. That does not mean that you have to do it again. You don't have to get saved again. That's not what I'm teaching. You don't get saved again. But parental, if you allow me to use that word again, forgiveness is something that goes on every day as we keep the fullness of the communion with our Savior open. Positional purging needs no repetition. But practical purging has to be repeated every day. It's a daily reminder of the amazing power of the gospel. Because you know what? Each time you pray something like this, are you going to catch every one of your sins? No way. That's not the point. But every time you do come to the Lord, every single time, if you are positionally forgiven, every single time you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I am sorry for that, do you know what you get? Beautiful closeness again. Every single time. What Christ will remind you of is your positional forgiveness every time. Yeah, that's, what, that's why Jesus died. He died to pay for that. I knew you were going I, I to sin in 2024 on June, whatever the date was. I paid for that. The ordinances that were being stacked against you. Remember last week when Jesus took all of those? One of, that, that sin you're going to commit one year and three months from now, that was on that list. And he reminds you of it. Yeah, you're one of my children. You can call me Father. It's more for your benefit, guys. Because as I was telling you, kind of with the, in the world of my children, they kind of already stand forgiven. They, they do. They're, we're good. It's that awkwardness this way. And it's you get to preach the gospel to yourself again. That's kind of how we word it. This verse is to bless you. Again and again. It's not a backpack. This isn't work. This is a Joy. Let me give you a few verses from last week that'll just encourage you. We're almost done. Everyone said amen? Almost done? I keep going, keep going. Micah 7, verse number 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. We are engrafted into that relationship. Beautiful your sins get buried in the depths of the sea Isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the father has laid the iniquity on uh, your iniquity of us all on Jesus he bore it on the on the cross Psalm 85 you have forgotten the iniquity of your people you have covered over their sin hallelujah Isaiah 43 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my name's sake, and I will not remember your sins. For I will be merciful to your righteousness, Hebrews 8 says, unrighteousness, excuse me, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So what is the message in forgive us our debts? It's simply a plea that we experience the moment-by-moment cleansing that comes from acknowledging our sin before the Lord. And that thrills me so much because God is eager to forgive. You might think, man, can I still come to him? Like God's up in heaven, like Ryan, you have literally asked for forgiveness for that sin for 20 years. I'm giving you one more year, buddy. That's how we are. Aren't you glad that God's not like you? I'm glad he's not like me. Because if you kept doing the same thing to me over and over and over and over again, you know what? We might need to kind of reevaluate some things. I might not have you over to my home for lunch. But you keep coming to God for the same things. And you know what he gives you? Forgiveness. Closeness a level of closeness that we just can't fully understand until we get it again, and we get it again. It's like, it's, it's like a shot of dopamine. Try it. Go home this afternoon and start confessing some of your sins. If you are judicially forgiven, you know what that will be? That will not be a law time for you. God will shower grace upon you. Grace upon grace upon grace. I think it was Nehemiah who said, Thou art a God ready to pardon Paul said in romans 5 verse 20 moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound. god loves to forgive and you can come back as many times as you want and it never diminishes his love now what about the person that says ryan this kind of preaching this produces lasciviousness this produces people they say well i can go Do whatever I want because I know that there's going to be forgiveness given. Listen to me. If that's what we took away from this, we've missed it. Because a love like this, a grace like this, a forgiveness like this, an unending, that parental type of just restoration over and over and over again unto you doesn't make me want to go sin because every single time I do, man, now there's something in between me. No, I, I, I wanna stay there. I wanna stay in that fellowship. Dr. Donald Barnhouse told a great story to illustrate this. He was talking to a college professor and he told a story about a couple. And this is what he said. The man had lived a life of great sin and immorality. But he had been converted, and eventually he came to marry a fine Christian woman. He had confided with her prior to his marriage the nature of his past life. He had told her of these things, and the wife took his head into her arms, and she kissed the top of his head. And she said, John, I want you to understand something very plainly. I know my Bible well, and therefore I know to understand something very plainly. I know to, the, the, excuse me, the subtlety of sin and the vices of sin that work in the human heart. I know you are a thoroughly converted man, John, but I know that you still have a sin nature and that you are not yet as fully instructed in the ways of God as you will be. The devil will do all he can to wreck your Christian life. He will see to it that the temptations of every kind are put in your path, in your way, and the day might come, John. Please, God, may it never come. But it might come when you succumb to temptation and fall into sin. And John, immediately the devil will tell you that it is no use trying. You might as well just kind of give up. You might as well just continue in that sin, and above all, he's going to tell you not to tell me because it will hurt me but John, I want you to know that there is a home for you in my arms. When I married you, I married your old nature as well as your new nature, and I want you to know that there is full pardon and full forgiveness in advance for any evil that ever comes into your life. Man, that's God-like. When Barnhouse finished the story, the college professor lifted up his eyes and he reverently said, my God, If anything could ever keep a man straight, that kind of forgiving love in advance would sure do it. That is exactly what I've been trying to preach this morning. It's a joy to say, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Because it brings such a sweetness back. This isn't a law, this is a grace. And the Lord's had to teach me that. This is a wonderful, wonderful grace. This kind of, if you'll allow me to use it again, this kind of parental side of it. I don't know other word to say. Our Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful aspect of forgiveness. Every head bowed, every eye closed.